Hello, friends. This is the AlphaList Podcast. I am your host, Toby. The goal of the AlphaList Podcast is to empower CTOs with the info and insight they need to make the best decisions for their company. We do this by hosting top thought leaders and picking their brains for insights into technical leadership and tech trends. If you believe in the power of accumulated knowledge to accelerate growth, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. Plus, if you're an experienced CTO, you will love the discussion happening in our Slack space where over 600 CTOs are sharing insights or visit one of our events. Just go to alphalist.com to apply. This podcast is proudly presented by Zoho. As a professional in software, you have probably heard of Zoho. They have been around for 27 years and now offer an all-in-one platform with over 50 mission-critical apps that offer everything from sales to marketing and HR to accounting. This all-in-one platform connects the entire enterprise, ensuring communication between departments. But it's the user privacy that Zoho offers that makes it stand out. They don't earn money by using your data for advertising and they have EU data centers, which is a requirement for GDPR compliance. See for yourself. Come to their user conference named Zoholics on the 26th and 27th of September in Cologne, where you can sit down with experts, get to know the software and the people behind the software. Plus, you get 25% off by using the link link.alphalist.com slash Zoho, which is Z-O-H-O. Welcome to the Alphalist Podcast. I am your host, Toby, and today with me is Gertrud. And Gertrud is working for a company that I guess not so many people know um, from, from its name. It's called IO, and it's actually the company behind the most popular or one of the most popular Chrome extensions in the world, which is Adblock Plus. Um, uh, like many people actually don't know that they have it installed. I, I, I often like confront people like, do you know Adblock? Um, and um, I, I have to tell them that it's the, the red hand that actually stops uh, ads from being served. Um, Gertrude, very happy to have you on the podcast here. Um, maybe we start with like a, a little introduction for yourself, uh, um, as I'm very bad with that. Um, like, where do you come from? What do you do? Um, what's your passion? Yeah, sure. Thanks. First of all, thanks for having me, Toby. I'm really happy to be here in your Alphalist podcast. And a little correction, uh, uh, the users out there might even know not only the extension Adblock Plus, but also Adblock. So we run both extensions and they are quite popular, uh, both of one. Uh, both of them. Uh, so uh, a few words about me. Yes, I'm Gertrude. I'm the CTPO working at IO and how to introduce myself. Um, I would like um, perhaps to give you a short overview, not about my career stations and my title and where I studied what and what I did, but perhaps a bit about, I would call it my journey, um, how I become this, what I'm at the moment, uh, the CTPO at IO. And what is it about to do a kind of, I would call it tech and product management. Um, 
So I would uh, um, separate this in three areas. Uh, let's start with engineering itself. Uh, so for me, that was just a jump into the cold water when I was young. Yeah, I was interested. Of course, I also checked out the Commodore 64 from my father. I was interested in math and a lot of other stuff, playing theater, art, reading books. And then after school, you know, I didn't know exactly what to do. And my brother, he told me, hey, why aren't you studying computer science? And I said, what? Are you crazy? But then he told me a bit about this, um, uh, I would call it discipline. And I got really um, curious and interested. And um, then I started to study computer science and uh, had the kind of deep dive into engineering. And this is a really... Um, yeah, an interesting world, yeah, um, to read, to cover the complex reality, telling a machine what to do, understanding the needs, the problems, and then building something which is, which is used by users. And this um, interesting thing that you um, have this mixture of structural thinking and also this portion of uh, creativity um, this is absolutely um, fascinating for me. Um, how to define uh, data structures, how to define clear architectures. So the whole area around engineering um, is really an interesting, interesting area. So I studied computer science and then also I worked as an engineer for quite a time. Um, Java uh, development in the retail um, area. Um, and then... In this time, I, I worked a lot um, about this topic, requirements engineering. This was the time um, when Agile arises at the horizon uh, in Germany. And before that, we all wrote these documents, this waterfall specifications with all the requirements. Lastenheft and Pflichtenheft. Lastenheft <laughs> and Pflichtenheft, absolutely, in the neutral language. And then the engineers um, have to understand what are the real the needs of the customer. And in this time, um, I gave birth to my second children and I took my maternity leave also take this time to get a deeper dive into this topic requirements engineering, how important it is to really understand the needs, um, the problems and how you work also with the natural language. Yeah, that's Important to questionate each term, also working with sentence templates. Um, so this was, I would call it a bit predecessor of uh, nowadays we work with user stories. And I was really fascinating. And then I came back after my break and in this company I worked, I say, hey, look, we have to work different. And I motivated everybody to use these sentence um, templates and work this way. And I remember that my customer was really a bit angry when he had a look at the specification written in these uh, weird um, templates. So, and then I changed to become that times it was called project manager, but it was a kind of product owner. Yeah, this was the time, yeah, as I said, um, uh, everything changed a bit. So then um, I worked, I would call it in the process around software development, yeah, product management, requirements, engineering. Um, also then, um, of course, I worked with the agile processes, which came up. 
So at first it was this engineering itself, then the um, processes around software development, product management, and agile processes. And then um, I um, started at Axis Springer. I started as a project manager, but this is not so important. But after a while, I became a tech manager. And what does this mean? Um, from this perspective, um, it's um, it's also about um, how you ensure having an organization with teams who are able to really uh, build great software products. And in this time when I started, um, we did a lot of reorganizations and had new teams and had to mixture teams and the product strategy changed. In this, in this time, I read a really great book, a kind of, I would say, eye-opener. It's called Team Topologies. And th in this book, it started with this deep correlation um, between technical architecture and organization. And what it says, it's like this Conway's law. I think we all know this, that when you have organizations which builds design systems, then how the system is designed is uh, shaped or fostered by how the organization is built up, how the communication path is in this organization work. And this, I think, is so absolutely interesting. Um, and that's also important to know when you, when you shape those organizations, you have to understand this paradigm because it has such a huge impact. We can go a deep, have, can um, go a bit further. Uh, perhaps you have a question about this, but this is what I would uh, say. Now I'm a tech manager and have this different um, perspective working in this engineering itself area, then doing kind of product management process around software development and now as a tech and product manager at IO. Yeah, that, that, that's interesting. And how do you design your org structure? Um, if you know that uh, your IT architecture follows it, like, is there, um, do, do you, did, did you plan it from scratch or do you, do you maybe see that uh, this has to be revamped uh, right now or how do you oh, feel about that? First of all, it's not, I cannot build it from scratch because I yeah. joined IO uh, March last year and then there was an org organization. And the interesting thing at IO is it's um, not only about IO. We are at the moment a kind of three companies, IO, and we have at Block Inc., uh, which built the extensions. What we do, uh, the other products I can uh, talk about later. And we also buy it, uh, bought uh, last year a company called Blogso. So we have different um, different companies, different teams. And now the challenge is to bring this all together. So you don't start from scratch. That's the one point. And the other is the terms architecture and organization, I think they, they seem so, so fixed. Yeah, Architecture, you always think about a house and then there is a house and it's fixed. But this is not the case. Architectures and organizations, from my perspective, are quite fluid. And um, uh, and why is this so? Because when you change your product strategy, and you do this because, I don't know, you grow, you build new products, the world change outside, then you have to adapt your technical architecture, I don't know, being more scalable or whatsoever. 
And then, of course, this affects also your organization. So from my perspective, it's a kind of ongoing thing. Adapt your architecture, adapt the organization. But of course, you have to keep in mind that this costs a lot of energy. Yeah. So changing an organization, we are talking about people. We are talking about um, uh, we all want to have um, highly motivated, autonomous working teams. We all know, hey, they need their faces, norming, storming and so ever. And you can't change it the whole time. The same also with technical architecture. You have to adapt it step by step because continuously you have to make sure that's maintainable, that's robust. Yeah, and also flexible for the future. So again, from my perspective, we have this connection between architecture and organization. It's not fixed. You have to adapt this continuously, but you have to take care about the people and also about that your software is still maintainable. And when it comes back to your question, let's um, uh, um, talk about one one example uh, at I.O. Um, um, so again, we have different companies at the moment. Doesn't it's, it's not important what they do. Um, and especially we can uh, talk about this later, but of course, when you have different companies, let's assume, I don't know, you have, um, we have, for example, at I one, one data team. And, um, of course, then you think, Hey, it does make sense to have one data platform also for the other companies. Why do redundant work? Yeah, this is obvious. Everybody, yeah, it's. And then we are in the. Um, then we are thinking about the so-called platform teams. I think this is also a term with it, which is quite popular at the moment, and it's um, really interesting um, that you have one central product or platform which is used internally by, for example, the application or product teams that. With that, you can reduce the so-called cognitive load for the application teams because then they don't have to do everything in parallel. And of course, um, it's easier to use um, a platform than doing all the stuff uh, yourself. So the platform uh, topic is uh, quite important, not only in the, in the sense of data, but also, for example, infrastructure. At IO, we, we used to... Um, uh, really maintain our service ourselves in our um, data centers. And as I said, as we want to be more able to become more scalable, we are now um, working much more with cloud services, for example, using managed services um, and do a kind of upskilling now in, in all the teams. So this is so, um, and how the organizational setup overall at IO um, is... Um, I think we all face this, this challenge that um, um, we have to concentrate. We all know how important it is to work in an interdisciplinary way. Yeah, I don't know. You have a business area and, and it's important that you work closely together, product, engineering, business. Yeah. Uh, but on the other side, you also have this kind of challenge that um, it's important that the disciplines, tech, product and sales also work closely together cross uh, cross team because I don't know, engineering, uh, it does make sense to have a kind of tech radar to check out what techn technologies are using overall. It's a kind of zoo or not. Um, uh, can we, it's, it does make sense to have a knowledge um, exchange. Um, 
And at IO at the moment, we work in so-called business units with all the disciplines um, inside, but we also work when it comes to the disciplines, product, engineering, and sales also closely together um, so that we have a kind of metrics organization. Okay. Um, and, and that... Um Like if we if we take the different companies, then the matrix is spread a, uh, across all those companies that you acquired as well, or how me. does that work? And is it like a dedicated tech team for, let's say, AdBlock? Uh, yeah, you are, it, it, this is a great question. This is the challenge we're facing right now. When you when you run a company with a product portfolio with different products, and again, let's let's talk about our products. We not only doing uh, building our extensions. Then you can say, hey, it's of course um, better to have smaller companies focused on their products and they run. They are faster. Yeah, uh, uh, Decision making is faster than having this big organization. Yeah, I worked for years in, in the corporate at Axel Springer, so I really I know what I'm talking about. Um, but at IO, this is really a bit special because our products, we talk this interdependencies. We not only have sometimes technical dependencies, we have so-called interdependencies. What does this mean? We have in our products, our success KPIs, our success metrics, when it's a, it is a product um, um, successful, but sometimes we have different interests. Why is this so? Because we build products for end users, for users. We do this, we offer, um, offer this great web experience, having a um, filtering web experience. And we also offer products for publishers and we want to build products for advertisers um, to make it happen that the advertisers can, can reach our inventory directly. And with our products, we have sometimes different interests. And that's why we decided hey, we cannot run this company as a kind of portfolio company with different uh, smaller companies inside. So we are aiming for metrics organization And we would like to integrate, um, uh, yeah, all the companies into one organization. And we have reasons for this. It's not about that. We have we are a new management team at IO. Um, my colleagues Jan and Frank, they are ex Googlers, and I come from Axel Springer. And of course, sometimes we have which is an interesting setup for like AdBlock, right? Uh, it is. It I is. I mean, Axel Springer sued AdBlock at a certain point, uh, and I, I guess like. Google and AdBlock also weren't always friends. Uh, so that's really uh, interesting to see, um, like just as a side comment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And of course, you can imagine that I got a lot of question about this decision. But of course, we can now talk a bit about what what does IO um, exactly? What are we offering? And um, uh, of course, I can also tell the story how I, ca how I came to IO. What was it about? So I, I worked at Axel Springer for quite a while, for almost nine years, and it was a really good time. I know that Axel Springer at the moment faces a lot of criticism, and I think many things yeah went wrong. But I really would like to say, hey, they are working great colleagues, and um, I really I had really a good time. I really want to emphasize this also as a woman at Axel Springer. Um, but this is not our topic today. Um, Yeah, then, um, but uh, you know, nine years is a long time. And I really, so every, I think every two years I had a new job. So I had many chances and it was really a good time. But then, you know, after nine years, I thought, oh goodness, hmm, it's time for a change. I need a system change. I don't want to do, uh, I don't want to work in a comp corporate anymore. Um, I really need something different. Um, 
And then, uh, coincidence, uh, Headhunter reached out and um, asked for this job uh, for IO. And then I got curious, oh, interesting that they asked me. And then, of course, I read a lot about IO. And then I talked to um, Till and uh, Jutta, so the founders. And I must say, these interviews were absolutely um, interesting. So great people overall, yeah, uh, really um, yeah, great conversations. And I also like the idea itself. Uh, so we are aiming, of course, we can uh, discuss the business model, but the idea thinking about, hey, what is the web about? We want to have an open, accessible, balanced web. web. And we see, hey, advertising is the biggest monetization pillar in this in this area and we see also what are the consequences um, for this and having this idea of uh, ad filtering and again i really would like to um, explain what it is um, to keep the balance to make the user happy seeing only not so many uh, annoying ads but also rewarding the publisher um, from my point of view this was an interesting idea and also working at a company who thinks about this hey how How does the web work? Uh, what is, um, uh, yeah, what are the powers in the system? Um, this was so interesting for me that I said, okay, let, let's, let's go ahead. Uh, so it was, uh, this whole purpose thing, the people and of course the situation in which I was at the moment. Yeah. This growth phase, this challenging growth phase. We, yeah, the processes don't work and we do reorganization, all the hard stuff. But these situations, I, I really, I, I like and I find, find them very interesting. And, um, yeah, I had to have a really good time at IO. Okay. Yeah. Um, good, good to hear. But maybe back to your complex matrix organization before we talk more about IO. Um, How does it work? I mean, if you have, if you acquire a company, do you then like fully integrate people into your organization, make them part of, is there one big engineering team, which then is being used by the matrix? Like, does that really work? Uh, yes, uh, this is um, the idea. But at the moment, we 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 are starting to thinking to think about how we, we really want to set up the organization. Um, what we already um, um, thought about is really, yeah, we want to have one huge engineering group, of course, again, with dedicated te teams and dedicated um, departments, but having them all under one umbrella, this is uh, what we are aiming for. Again, because of these um, interdependencies. Also, when I started at IO, Uh, there was such a silo thinking overall, and um, we, we broke this up last year, especially when it comes to the product organization. Um, but we really want to go a step further and have one organization overall. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then there's no sub-team for one product or the other product um, in the engineering team. Oh, really no, 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 of, of course. No, no, sorry. Ah, okay, 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 okay. No, no, no. <laughs> I thought it's like all no, 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 working no. on everything. Okay. No, we will still work in these um, um, kind of business units and we still have product, uh, dedicated product teams. But at the moment we have different um, company structures. Okay. Okay. So essentially you clean up the org chart and make yeah. it more explicit, I guess. Um, explicit. Maybe also, implicit yeah. before, I can imagine. Um, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, 
And then you also mentioned the platform teams and the platform. Do you build like one real tech platform for all the also for the businesses you've you've acquired, or is there like um, let's say a minimum feasible ground for all the the acquisitions and the different subsidiaries, or like how do you see like the platform? Is it more about communication tools or and 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 best practices, or where where does it start? Where does it end? So when I talk about platform, um, let's talk about, for example, the data or the also also our infrastructure team. When I talk in this context about platform, first of all, um, it's important that these platform teams have also a product manager who talks with the application and product teams. Hey, what are your needs? What what do you need? And with this, um, build a kind of self service platform that they. Yeah, can be used by the product teams to make their life easier. And it's not the case. Hey, I have a data platform. This central, my central warehouse. You have to do. You have to. You have to use this. Um, it's mm -hmm. more than. Hey, it's really. Um, I would say it, it's very service oriented. Customer. Hey, I have customers. These are my internal teams. And then I build uh, because these. You have often the situation that these teams has, have really the same requirements, the, the same needs. And therefore, you can build a platform, a standardized platform, not that you end up in building individual stuff because then you are not scalable. So the idea is understanding the needs from the product teams, building a platform which can be used by them perfectly as a self-service um, uh, um, platform. Um, and then reducing their cognitive load and you run this kind of standard platform um, and helping the product teams. And this is, you can do this, I don't know, with managed infrastructure service or data or whatsoever, but this is the idea behind a platform when I talk about an internal platform. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So example could be, let's say you have BI uh, and you want to have a data warehouse um, and provide that to your customers internally. Um, then it could be that you end up using, I don't know, Metabase um, hosted somewhere um, with like the SQL servers of your different entities and um, or like an ETL process or ELT process exactly. uh, that kind of gets it into that. And you figure that out together in a way. Like you, you have like the stakeholders, maybe the leadership team of the individual companies then um, and, and they can influence the decision Um What if I join this as like an organization that uh, has recently been acquired? Is it, am I required to use it? Is it, is it optional? Is there like how, how do you how do you see that? I personally like some would, would always minimum, minimum always ground? go for um, this is optional. For me, the platform has to be so good that the new teams understand. Okay, this helps us because mm -hmm. otherwise you say, hey, look, you have to use it. And then also the platform team has a lot of pressure. And then sometimes the product teams has to wait until the platform team is ready. Of course, you have in the setup sometimes redundant stuff. When we, let's assume we buy a new company and they have already their data system. Of course, then we have to really 
um, elaborate and talk about does it make sense to integrate them on this platform. It's not mm -hmm. uh, on the slide. It looks always so easy. Hey, cool. We have a platform integrate and blah. And then we have our synergies. But this is, yeah, you really have to be a bit careful um, um, that you meet the needs. Uh, but of course, you can offer this. Hey, look, this is a platform. This is quite useful. It's easy to use. Yeah? This is really important. It's easy to use for you. It helps you reduce your cognitive load. You can use it. Go for it. This is the idea. And not, mm -hmm. hey, I want to centralize everything. You have to do it. Yeah. Sure, sure. I mean, with some things like it might be helpful to have like a, a middle ground that everyone, I don't know, agrees to, right? Uh, I, I mean, let's let's take, I think like every everything starts with communication. So um, do we use Slack? Do we use email? Do we, I don't know, use Teams? Yeah, do this we, is like, a different story. You're absolutely right. Of course, this is also a challenge we are facing right now. We have this discussion, Slack, Metamos, and so, so we, we took our decision. It's, it's Slack. But of course, we have different, everybody uses um, his G Suite. And um, uh, yeah, we have different Confluence and Jira uh, stacks. And of course, um, we are now making a plan to bring this together step by step because this is really Uh, this is really important that we have one really collaboration tools uh, that we, um, yeah. So this is absolutely important, but of course it, it uh, take a while. I mean, uh, I, I think like Slack and, and email and, and, and Google Workspace, etc., can go hand in hand. Um, but yeah, then you have the wiki, like one likes to use Notion, the other one likes to use uh, yeah. Confluence potentially, yeah. or I can imagine then they're like, If you work in a, in a space where privacy is quite important, you, you mentioned MetaMost. So there are like different opinions on, on, on stuff. And I can imagine that this is kind of hard uh, to then find a, a common or a good middle ground uh, without uh, discouraging anyone, right? Yeah, this is, but this is, to be honest, uh, part of my job. Yeah, there I'm quite clear because when it comes to collaboration, there it's different. Yeah, it, it only makes sense when we work in one tool. Otherwise, we will go crazy. And of course, everybody has his favorite tool set, blah, blah, blah. Um, but there, I'm um, again, now we took our decision um, towards Slack. And in this situation, what, what before this, we took some surveys, we asked the people and also what are the requirements. So now we can explain um, this decision. And of course, I, I got complaints about this. Um, and then I say, hey, look, yeah, I understand you, but these are the reasons and we go for it now. Uh, because otherwise we cannot, we cannot discuss everything. Uh, and um, especially when it comes to collaboration, it's really important uh, that we work with the same tools. I'm um, absolutely uh, clear. Okay, understood. And, and, and then you kind of, um, like whenever you acquire a company, uh, you kind of integrate that. And uh, then you, the other services that you add on top, um, it's kind of optional. Um, and, and, and this is what, like you, you have to convince people then um, to, to, to join this, this track. And um, let's, let's, let's stay with that BI example. Um, are then like the individual um, units somehow contributing to this platform stack because I think that that could also be like part of the magic that if you yourself contribute um, to, to, to like a the decisions obviously like you you you're, you're involved but B also the the whole um, work that is being done um, that this kind of changes acceptance um, 
How do you feel about that? Toby, this is an interesting idea, to be honest. I haven't thought about this because, again, when I talk about this platform, is this the idea to reduce the cognitive load. But um, I will think about this when I will face this this uh, discussion uh, regarding acceptance. Yeah, At the moment, I think um, it's um, it works quite well and everybody understands this. Um, but this is, of course, yeah, this is an interesting idea. I, I, I think it... Uh, um It might be relevant um, if you go deep um, really into building tech, um, which I don't feel that you you do it um, in the in this this platform team that you necessarily build, I don't know, um, engineering products that are then used by all of the different um, entities, but rather do a lot of buy um, instead of build, right? If you build, I think then it's more important that people contribute to that, that, that to the code actually um, uh, to, mm -hmm. to accept it um, and also to bring it to a maturity level which is uh, which is which which is okay right that uh, often with like home built home crafted software it's 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 hard to get it to, to a level where like really multiple teams uh, can use it and enjoy using it right yeah absolutely yeah but perhaps we can talk a bit What we are building at IO, what we what we are yeah. doing. So, what is ad filtering? I think. We yeah, right. I mean, what and, and the difference between ad blocking and ad filtering. I think that's like you you explicitly mentioned ad filtering. While well, the company is called ad block, so it doesn't block but filter. Yeah. Um, which is also part of the business model, as far as I know. Yeah. <laughs> but, but let's let's start a bit um, a bit. Um, um, Uh, a bit about history, yeah. So when the web, the internet uh, came up, I would say end of 90s, and we all uh, starting to uh, try something out, and the first browsers appears. Then also we saw the first ads popping up everywhere, the banners, and it got really, I don't know, very uh, colorful and um, starts to becoming a bit annoying. Partly annoying, yeah. Hardly annoying. In these times, I think everybody also was figured out what is what are the business models in the web, monetization possibilities. And in this time, some engineers just said, oh, it's so annoying. What's that? Yeah, we, we write blockers. Uh, we can block it. From a technical perspective, this is um, not a big thing. Let's block ads. Um, and this is also, and this is important from my perspective, um, the, the, the base idea of the web being open, accessible for everybody, that you are invited to contribute, to interact, and also that uh, the web is, is um, also thought about um, that you can influence also how you use the web. Yeah, that's why we, there is the possibility to, to build extensions. Um, so with this mindset, hey, it's not, I, I, I surf in the, uh, through the web and I see the ads, It's it's not cool. It's annoying, and and I am I'm so the web is, is is about hey invites you to also to foster how you use the web yeah how your web experience is so that that's why ad blockers um, came up and became uh, yeah quite uh, successful um, over time and when we talk about blocking it's not only ads it's also yeah you can block trackers you can block um, different things so there's also the term content blocking so this is a bit broader and um, how you block as I said you can do this via 
browser extensions, or sometimes it's also integrated in browsers. Let's uh, think about Brave, for example. This is a popular example. They they do they just do it. Um, so um, that's ad blocking and um, content uh, blocking. So we again we um, uh, build the product. AdBlock and AdBlock Plus, the extensions, but we also build so-called yeah our SDKs where we offer our so-called distribution partners, so browser vendors, um, uh, with our product um, a deep technical integration in browsers. So we are not building only the extensions, but also the this kind of SDK to have this um, uh, the integration. And um, again, because this is. Um, I think quite interesting how um, ad blocking works. It's, it's quite easy. So when a website is, is loading, you have this piece of software, this blocking software, and this runs on the client, obviously, and then um, uh, go through the um, DOM tree and checks the components um, and try to find matches in the so-called filter lists. So filter lists um, is the possibility where you can define what you want to be blocked. Um, and then this piece of software checks out, okay, I have a match and this is then I can block this request. And so you can do ad blocking. This is quite easy. The interesting thing is these filter lists themselves, yeah, there are many, many, many filter lists uh, everywhere. Um, so we have, um, I think, more than 500, uh, 500 filter lists, um, open source. It's uh, These are just text files full of regular expressions. Um, and you can write your own filter list. Yeah? You can write a filter list where you say, I want to block this and that. And then you can integrate this filter list, for example, in our extension. Our extensions come with so-called default filter lists, but you can define your own. It's, it's easy. Um, and also languages is a huge topic, yeah, over 40 languages. Um, uh, so we have filter lists in over 40 languages. Um, the most popular one is the so-called easy list. Uh, um, and the easy list has over 80,000 rules. And we have approximately 400 commits a week and many, many authors. So there is a lot of changes all the time, but you can imagine yeah, new websites coming up, um, uh, new domains um, uh, for new ad requests. Um, and this we want to block. And also what's interesting, when we block ads, then of course, at the end, the website uh, should not look ugly. And that's why there is the possibility via so-called um, element hiding to, to let the site at the end look good, also without ads. Mm -hmm. um, but this, with the filter lists, come also, comes also a bit, uh, they are also risky. Why? Because you can imagine... You write a filter rule with a filter list, and then you use this filter list to block ads. And of course, you can do a mistake, and then it's broken. And the thing is, um, you aim for not having so long filter lists. Yeah, you can uh, write filter uh, rules very specifically, but then they get very long. And then you can also write generalist, more general filter rules then the filter list is not so long, much easier to maintain, but the risk to break more sites 
is much higher. Uh, so that's why um, we really, and we at IO, we distribute these open source filter lists. And of course, we have to check the quality of the filter lists before we distribute them. Uh, this mm -hmm. is a big, big uh, topic for us. And is that then centrally controlled or is there like a, like it sounds a bit like open source, like there are like many contributors and they maybe maintain the quality as well or like what, so what do you do centrally? And We check the quality of the filter list before we distribute them and then we reach out. We work closely together with a lot of filter authors and we tell them, hey, look, <laughs> perhaps you can change this. Sometimes, of course, we also um, uh, change filter lists. Mm -hmm. Um, so we have, we handle these open source filter lists because of course this is for us, a, it's great to have this open source community out there. Yeah. We rely on them, but of course we check the quality and then we work closely together with them. Um, and then of course, when you do add blocking, there's one important term and this is circumvention because, um, the, owner of the website, the publishers, of course, sometimes <laughs> what I, uh, they don't like us because of course they cannot monetize um, the users when we block all ads. And that's why they do circumvention. So it's like this cat and mouse game. Yeah. They do something on top that ads are shown and we check it. And then we do anti-circumvention <laughs> because of course we want to make sure that the user gets the experience he or she or they want. Um, so that's also important. Hey, having this ad blocking, circumvention, anti-circumvention out there. So this was ad blocking. And now we know, okay, nothing is for free. Yeah, We want to have an open web, accessible, um, adjustable. Um, but on the other side, the publishers, of course, they need money. Yeah, and... Um, um, and that's why there was the idea um, born um, years ago, having this kind of um, acceptable ads standard. Uh, what is it? It's that you that you say, hey, we let ads through, so we don't black block all the ads. So ads, um, uh, the criteria are about placement, distinction, and size. So um, there are special formats where the acceptable ad standard says, hey, this is okay, not too big, um, it's not so annoying. Also, how many ads we have on one side is important. And important, ads has to have to be labeled. So you have to understand, okay, this is an ad. Yeah? So these are the criteria. It's not about the content of a creative or an ad itself. This is important. This this question I get so often, Yeah, uh, if we also filter good or bad ads. This is not the case. It's only about um, yeah, the, the experience when it comes to yeah, layout stuff. Um, so this is the acceptable ad standard. There's also an acceptable ads committee um, out there because this is a kind of um, neutral standard. And in this committee, um, uh, there are persons from advertising, publisher, and also users, and they make sure that um, uh, there is an evaluation of this standard, but it's acceptable for all the stakeholders in the ecosystem. So this is the idea behind the acceptable standard. So, and we do ad filtering. That means we do ad blocking with the filter lists. Every ads are blocked. 
And then comes our so-called allow listing into um, a place. And this is a kind of whitelist. I'm not allowed to say I, I mentioned the term whitelist in an all hands. And then I got the question, I don't know, big, because red, white and black. So it's allowing ads. Um, yeah. So it's also just a filter list. But with the ads where we say, okay, these ads are acceptable when it comes to the acceptable ad standard. And we let these ads through. And now our business model, we talk to the publishers and say, look, and now comes the interesting news. We have at the moment 270, roughly 270 million users. So we have a huge user base. And with this, we can go to the publisher and say, hey, look, be our partner. And then with that, you can also monetize these acceptable ads users. And of course, from this, we get a kind of ref share or a fee. This is the business model behind this. And the idea is, hey, happy user, happy publisher, and of course, also happy IO. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah? yeah. Interesting. And when it also, when it comes to uh, um, our extensions, when you download the extension, you become um, Adblock Plus user, then the default uh, constellation is, then you are an acceptable ads user, but... Um, in this onboarding process, we are very transparent. We explain this to you. Hey, acceptable ads, this is how it works. Here you can opt out. Yeah, um, but we have a really an opt-out rate, which is not so um, so big. So that's also for us to say, hey, look, this acceptable ad standard is accepted by the user. Yeah, this is, of course, for us very, very important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. And... Um Like over 200 million users means that you have like a, a big reach, which you could also use to make the web a better place um, as you're like kind of in, in the middle, right? You're kind of a mediator. Um, uh, and, and let's look at the browsers and how they are evolving. Like uh, for a while in Chrome, there's like this scary face on top where it's kind of, you, you have profiles, right? Which is like, obviously like the, 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 the idea to introduce like a, a profile level where you could also be the gatekeeper for this profile as Google, right? Um, while you could also build something like a, a privacy sandbox yourself where you have the user and you can, you can say that you are kind of an independent party, which obviously also needs to earn money, um, but um, maybe does it in a different way than Google or others um, and, and, and could control this, this user level um, or this, this privacy level. Um, is that the future or? Great question, Toby. Again, um, so we, we've now we've talked about users and publishers, but let's also about uh, talking, uh, talk about advertisers. Our next idea is that we offer the opportunity to, um, to reach this acceptable ads inventory directly from agencies and advertisers. Because we, 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 we are quite sure that our audience is not so uh, fatigued, so it's not so tired because you don't see so many ads. We have a quite a great audience, um, uh, tech-affine. Uh, so we are we are absolutely sure this audience is absolutely important for the advertiser uh, side. Mm -hmm. um, and with that, um, 
of course, we are thinking about what if we could collect a kind of behavioral, behavioral user data from our users, from our um, extensions, of course, in an um, anonymous way, and then also think about putting them in these segments or topics. In the privacy sandbox, it's called um, topics. Um, and with this in place, also to provide, again, for the buy side, for the agencies or advertisers, an opportunity to do a privacy-friendly targeting. Yeah, this is an idea we have at the moment, um, um, but uh, we, we see a, a huge opportunity in this. It's quite interesting for us because we are in a position to do, to do this. But on the other side, um, yeah, we have to check um, uh, how a go-to-market strategy can look like and what, what of kind of business case we see behind this. But this is absolutely a topic uh, we are discussing at the moment very deeply. Okay. Okay. Because I could, I could imagine that, I don't know if I'm an Adblock user and I get asked, um, if I want to, like, I, I, I get the question, like, I don't know, L'Oreal wants to, uh, engage with you. Is it okay for you? Yes, no, maybe, um, that, um, this is, um, maybe leads to a yes more often than, um, uh, like, Uh, the, in the in the standard setup where everyone sees the ads, right? Um, so uh, I ca I could imagine that this actually leads to a good setup for the user um, and uh, and um, maybe makes people accept the ads if they are in control. Um, what, what is really being 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 sent out, right? What is really like which part of my data is really then sent to L'Oreal and um, that you can limit it somehow. Yeah, absolutely. And this is also a kind of a piece of our purpose statement that we give um, uh, the users the control back. Um, and also in this, um, when we think about this, having um, this in place uh, about this product, yeah, this this does make sense, absolutely. Um, on the other side, when we talk about um, providing this transparency or control to, towards the user, Ah, there we also have to check um, how we yeah make this transparent to the user, but on the other side, um, um, having um, still a good user experience because with transparency, let's let's talk about yeah let's think about the uh, content layer. Nobody, content, everybody yeah, yeah. hates them. Yeah, it's yeah. really hard. Um, so when it comes to privacy, I think everybody talks about yeah transparency and giving back the control. Yes. On the one side, but on the other side, it also doesn't make sense to overwhelm the user with all the information. You, know, you, are, you have to, um, you have to um, a choice. Um, uh, you have. To, I think we also need to discuss about smart ways um, to to ensure this kind of transparency and give the control back. But on the other side, not that we end up in this. Oh goodness! Again, what's this? Click, click. <laughs> yeah. Ideally, it would be if you could um, just influence this in retrospect, right? Uh, if you've seen an ad uh, and you don't want your data to be passed back, that you could correct that uh, after it unfortunately has been stored, right? <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I can imagine that this is like a, a big thing. Um, which which role does AI play in, in this in this whole? setup i can imagine like uh, detecting ads um is obviously like their ai can maybe replace those filter lists in long term um is that true is that is that what you're working on absolutely 
So for a long time, we are working on this topic because, as I said, yeah, these filter lists, not easy to maintain. Um, yeah, these text files with regular expressions, can't you out automize this? Yeah, this is really, um, and that's why um, we uh, work really intense um, on this topic. Um, and it's not, at the moment, we are aiming for having a full automation of ad filtering. Now, what does this mean? So we we started to train models to um, um, distinct, um, distinguish between ads and not and no ads um, to auto-automize this. And we are um, quite, I would say, uh, on a good path. And what we do want to do now is um, that we collecting and analyzing data and check the model's performance the whole time. Um, and then also um, check for improvements and um, and then use this data automatically to update the model, to have a better model, and then also have an automated process in place to deploy um, the model so that we have continuously a model in place, collecting data, checking the kind of performance or health of the model, retrain the model, and then deploy it to have continuously um, a great ad filtering experience. We are on our way, but uh, we are we are not there yet, but uh, we are quite um, uh, confident. But with this comes uh, some challenges. Again, it sounds so easy, but um, um, we faced some some challenges. But so it's not only about having this whole process automated. We also, when it comes to anti-circumvention, we see an interesting use case for um, AI, AI and machine learning. And also, for example, generate filter rules well, can also be uh, an interesting idea. But at the moment, we focus, as, we focus a lot on this automated pipeline to really have a full automated pipeline for ad filtering. Okay, um, it sounds sounds amazing, uh, especially like having such a big user base where you could maybe also every once in a while ask a user, like, is that an ad or not? Uh, we, we're not sure. Um, uh, you could you could even build like a panel of, of users that help you, right? Uh, I mean, apart from the filterless people, obviously. We have um, this in place already. We have a so-called issue reporter. Um, we get uh, really feedback uh, from the people, from the users out there. Mm -hmm. um, so absolutely, yeah. So we are in a very good position to, um, yeah, to to check the health of our of our model. Okay, cool. Um, sounds sounds great. Um, really, like looking forward to 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 to, to see more of that uh, in in the future, and. Um, really great conversation so far. I still, as we slowly have to come to the end, have a little surprise for you, um, which I uh, typically have for my guests. Um, no worries. I know um, your, your iOS uh, co-founder, Tim Schumacher, quite well, uh, because I also run a company called SAS Group together with him. Mm -hmm. And um, we talk a lot and he once uh, told me about an Easter egg that he personally built into Adblock Plus. Um, I don't know if you ever tried clicking the red hand 35 times uh, in a row, <laughs> but uh, like he, he told me he told me that, and it actually it actually um, uh, opens up an Easter egg feature called the time machine, which um, physically lets you travel back in time. 
uh, we b- both know like t- Tim can be can can be crazy and um and it's his invention like everyone can use it now I, I hope not too many people abuse it but and I I have adblock plus open here and I try it like I just clicked 35 times and now I can enter a year and um uh, a character and I enter Gertrud Kolb and uh, the year two th- 2012 where you just started off as a project manager at Axel Springer um and we can now observe yourself for a while you kind of um fighting for new tech standards uh, which is which can be heavy in a publishing house um and uh, we now have the chance to whisper something into young Gertrude's ears what would it be um i would say Mm. be more self-confident because in this time it was so interesting at Axel Springer the whole discussion about um, how to work uh, um, uh, online and print and together and for me when I started I was the whole time oh I have firstly to understand everything and then I can uh, raise my opinion and now I would say hey be more self-confident and talk much earlier about your ideas especially when you are a newbie yeah this is important um, uh, because this brings fresh ideas into um, into groups so don't uh, don't be too shy at the at the beginning and say hey i just have to understand everything and then i can raise ideas just just talk about them because then you end up in real interesting uh, discussions and brainstorming sessions and this is really helpful i can imagine <laughs> um yeah and i like being eight years at Axel Springer, I can imagine that there's like quite a lot of fights also between print and digital back at that time. And uh, like it was I spent crazy. some time at Gruner and Ja as well. So that was 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 similar, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, was crazy, but absolutely interesting, interesting um, time working there. Okay, cool. Yeah, thanks a lot um, for your insights um, into, into ad blocking and ad filtering and a bit of privacy um, and and um, also the your, your team architecture and um, organization architecture. Really interesting. Um, hope to see it again um, and, and uh, maybe catch up on AI at a later stage uh, when your model is live. Um, have a great weekend. It's live. And, it's live. It ah, is it's live. It's, yeah, yeah. it's live, but... We didn't um, have the time. It's uh, really... But we talk another time, Toby. Okay, great. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thanks again. See you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Alphalist podcast. If you like this episode, share it with friends. I'm sure they'll love it too. Make sure to subscribe so you can hear deep insights into technical leadership and technology trends as they become available. Also, please tell us if there is a topic you would like to hear more about or a technical leader whose brain you would like us to pick. Alphalist is all about helping CTOs getting access to the insights they need to make the best decisions for their company. Please send us suggestions to cto at alphalist.com. Send me a message on LinkedIn or Twitter. After all, the more knowledge we bring to CTOs, the more growth we see in tech. Or as we say on Alphalist, accumulated knowledge to accelerate growth. See you in the next episode.